Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode 281, Corey Clipston, CEO and founder of Swan Bitcoin, joins me to talk about a bunch of things, working in the Bitcoin space, teaching new coiners, growing the auto stacking movement, and we chat a little bit about the latest with Bitcoin Adventures, we've got a deal available, and also Elon Musk's mistakes. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin holds a deep conviction that Bitcoin is the future of money. Swan's aim is to help you maximize your position in this dominant digital monetary network. As a Swan private client, you will have unlimited access to their team, strategic resources, and commitment to Bitcoin education. Bitcoin is an asymmetric investment of unparalleled proportions, rapidly becoming the preeminent wealth preservation asset for every individual and institution in the world. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy-impacting wealth for your family or company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. The Swan private team stands ready to earn the right to walk along alongside you on every step of this journey into the future of money. Learn more at swanbitcoin.com slash private or email the CEO, Corey, directly, corey at swanbitcoin.com. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform so you can lend or borrow crypto globally and anonymously. Lend at HodlHodl is a way to earn extra income on your stable coins. You can lend them out and earn an average of 25% APR. On the other hand, if you've got Bitcoins and you don't want to sell, well, you can now put them up as collateral and borrow against your Bitcoin, and you will still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature controlling your Bitcoin during that loan, since HodlHodl does not hold your funds. Lend at HodlHodl allows peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. So with the platform, you set your terms and put up offers, depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Are you looking to get involved with Bitcoin mining? Compass Mining are setting it up and making it easy for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. With Compass, you can buy an ASIC and have that sent to a facility that the Compass team have vetted and it'll be installed and you'll start earning uh, rewards out of that. With Compass, everyone is able to tap into the economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure about how to get started with mining Bitcoin, you can listen to my interview, episode 259 with Whit Gibbs. Compass is offering hardware and hosting bundles, so you don't actually have to have advanced technical knowledge. You can quickly get started. So visit them at compassmining.io. Start mining Bitcoin today. Now onto the show with Corey. Corey, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, Stefan. Thanks for having me. So Corey, there's been a lot going on. Swan has been growing phenomenally. We've got, you know, a lot of new people coming into the space, a lot of, you know, new jobs being created in the space. All this crazy, you know, Elon and, you know, Taylor going BSV. We've got plenty to get into today. I guess let's just start with where do you feel we are in the cycle? You know, are you a believer? Like, I know you're not a fan of S2F, right? But of the modeling stuff. But are you a fan of the four-year cycle idea? I think we have four-year cycles until we don't. They'll end at some point. I don't know when that is. You know, for, for business planning purposes, you'd have to be kind of an idiot not to plan for a major downturn in 2022, 2023, because that's what's happened before. So we're kind of of a mind to get as much repeating revenue as possible, make sure we're well capitalized and don't overextend during a bull run to the point where you'd have to be letting people go and creating a horrible culture at your company. It's much rather, it's better in this particular field (laughs) with the types of cycles we've had 
to be a little bit more cautious in my view. Yeah, and absolutely, I think the whole auto stacking message is so important because here's the thing, you really, really want to have your auto stacking or your DCA Bitcoin plan on during the bull, sorry, during the bear market because that's when you accumulate the most. Yeah. It's a bear market product. It really is because I, I always call it automatic recurring purchases as opposed to dollar cost averaging or, uh, you know, you can use auto DCA. That's okay. But no, because dollar cost averaging is kind of a trading strategy and it's generally not the optimal trading strategy if you actually have a big chunk of cash ready to go and you're in a bull trend. Of course. Because if you have an asset with upward skewed volatility, it makes more sense to smash of course. all or most of it right up front, right? Right. So I, I usually think about automatic recurring purchases as matching to your fiat inflows. So really the product was created to pay yourself in Bitcoin or to get paid in Bitcoin. That was kind of the, the point of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a typical strategy is to start with a lump sum, right? So it's kind of like you've got that new coiner, that person who is, you know, they're a pre-coiner, they're a new coiner, they don't, you know, maybe they haven't built their conviction yet. And so maybe you say, look, you lump sum however much you're comfortable with, but when you lump sum in, you need to be comfortable hodling that for minimum four years or longer, ideally, and then set up the, mm -hmm. you know, the auto DCA, the auto stacking, automatic recurring purchases. I think that seems to me the reasonable approach because here's the thing, there'll be a lot of people who might be coming in and they don't know, yeah. am I coming in at the beginning, the middle or the late part of this cycle? And if I, if I, and that's the anxiety most people feel, right? When you talk to people, and I'm sure you've seen this, when I talk to new people, they're sort of like, oh, I'm waiting for a dip. I don't know. How do you sort of answer that for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I do this all the time, as you can imagine. And what I tell them is our goal here is regret minimum regret minimization. We want to we want to give you some way to enter the market here where if it goes up, you're going to be happy. And if it goes down, you're going to be happy. And if it goes sideways, you're going to be happy. And like, let's figure out what that is. You know, basically what I hit on, I want to say this was something that Rob Breedlove recommended on a YouTube video. But I think I, this is what's worked for friends and family. And when I'm forced to give an opinion, I basically say for that lump sum part before you get into the sort of automatic recurring purchases, just think about that total amount, smash half right now and do the other 50%, 10% a week for the next five weeks. And that way, if the price goes down, you're averaging and down. If it goes up, at least you got half of it in up front. And I haven't had anybody freak out and almost nobody gets through the full five weeks either. Because if the price if the price <laughs> goes smash by by then, well, because they start reading like crazy. Once they've bought that first, you know, fifty percent of their initial portfolio allocation, they immediately listen to like sixty eight podcasts and reads twelve books and you know rip through gradually, then suddenly and whatever else they can find, and, and all of a sudden they just want to smash the rest. So you know, at least we've given them like semi responsible entry advice, <laughs> but, but almost nobody makes it through that sixth week or the fifth week. Yeah, I think it's almost like a psychological tool as well because people like I think. Straight mathematically, you look in some of the personal finance and some of the financial planners and bloggers and writers, they might say, yeah, lump sum is mathematically better. Just lump sum it all in. But the reality is people are not convicted when they start, mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of about, you know, getting people over the line, getting them started. And, and then as they get more comfortable, then they naturally just put more in. And, you know, that's kind of, that's been, for many people, that's been their experience. Yeah. I, I have a funny uh, Gigi story. You know, we, we lost him to the Norwegians uh, a few months ago and he's working at CT, so psyched for him over there but uh i think on a bunch of pods last year i was always saying something kind of complicated like the amount of value you're willing to store in the bitcoin protocol is highly correlated with your understanding of bitcoin anyway one of the last gifts that Gigi gave me was like oh you mean the more you know the more you buy yeah 
<laughs> I was like, oh yeah, thanks. The engineer always simplifies all this flowery language, but yeah, that's really what it is. You know, that's why we all work on education so much. It's the Bitcoin is the story of adoption. Demand is not constant. Demand is growing based on the efforts of millions of people that are trying to orange pill the world. You know, I think there are still probably less than 10 million people globally that own a decent bit of their net worth stored in the Bitcoin protocol and have a pretty good understanding of Bitcoin and care about it a little bit, right? It's such a small number. I think it's about 0.1%. And I don't think that's changed that much in the last year. You know, this has been kind of frothy and we've added some true believers, but but it takes time. You know, those people won't get hardened and won't really understand what Bitcoin is until next year or the year after that as they wash, you know, as the tide washes out all of the poop and all of the all of the all of the Cardanos <laughs> and the whatever else is, you know, yeah. all this worthless stuff with high market caps. So yeah, I'm curious to get into your views on the numbers then. So, you know, other guys like uh, Creases BTC have spoken about this idea as well. And I think, you know, we just see these numbers thrown around, right? So the current, I guess, maybe a couple months old is that number is call it 100 to 200 million people who have some Bitcoin, right? Which, you know, if the population of the world is 8 billion, then we're talking, you know, one or 2%. Mm-hmm. But that's people who have some exposure, right? And as you correctly pointed out, it's only some fraction of that who actually have conviction, who are actually holding a serious amount. So I guess, where do you think we're at globally in terms of those numbers? I don't equate having a serious amount to having conviction either. Exactly. So what I'm looking for is that intersection of people who actually own a decent bit and actually understand what they own. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the number that I always point to that I think is going, you know, 100 or 200x over the course of this decade, where I think we're going from like seven to 10 million up to a billion by 2030. Yeah. And so you're saying those like, who, the, so that number is the people who have a significant amount and they're highly convicted. And understand Bitcoin. Yeah. Yep. And that's the mission of Swan, right? It's always about, it's always about educating and selling Bitcoin and you've got to do both because the whole point is, you know, we're, we're trying to create 10 million Bitcoiners just as one company, which in my personal definition of what a Bitcoiner is, I think there are fewer than 10 million today. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. Hey, And the other interesting stat is during these dips, we typically see uh, a lot of people on, say, Swan who are running into Smash Buy, right? And Swan is an only buy, right? There's no sell. So that's why, listeners, you got to send your, your new kind of friends to Swan because they can't sell. And so they won't panic. They're less likely to panic sell, right? So I think just you just yeah. should do that. But I think it's interesting because then it's kind of like, who are the people selling? Well, it's probably some OG with old coins or it's some whale participant who maybe you know is selling on some other exchange but then all of the the stacking people are out here smash buying in the dips yeah yeah i mean we've uh the last three weeks i mean we're sitting here it's may 28th it's friday our week is is sunday through saturday but yeah our last three weeks have been our best three weeks ever that's incredible. And I mean, this has been because over the last, well, call it two weeks, we've seen we've seen this big dip, right? We've gone from, yeah. call it 60,000 down to at the bottom, maybe 30,000 ish, right? Rough numbers. Uh, and as we speak today, it's around 35,000 in US dollar terms per Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, so it's incredible that we're seeing more people come in at this time now after we've just taken a 50%, almost 50% drop. Yeah, I mean these uh, these these bull trend pullbacks are uh, very good ri- risk adjusted entry points. Yeah, <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I scraped together. I don't even just fucking opening up 
couch cushions and stuff and scrape together a little bit to buy some more this week on top of my <laughs> on top of my auto stacking. I don't have much fiat left. Yeah, that's the reality for like I guess for you know people like you and me and kind of highly convicted Bitcoiners, that's kind of the reality of our yeah. lives that we end up just kind of keeping a low fiat balance because we're so convicted. Uh, so what does it mean then? Yeah, I think it was a Twitter exchange, maybe between Nick Carter and Eric Wall or something, and uh, and just popped up in my feed. It was kind of old; it was probably three or four months old, but I I just saw it for the first time, and it was, you know, it, they were referring to uh, the EMH and why it doesn't work, and the reason it doesn't work is because the people that understand that it's supposed to work don't have any more fiat. <laughs> exactly, we're already committed, right? <laughs> we're, we're out. So it's then it's about bringing new people in and ultimately people are exactly. social creatures right it's not everyone is making logical and rational choices really we make an emotional kind of we we sort of make a decision and then backwards rationalize and we just kind of look at what our family and our friends are doing and so i think that's really the reality of it and so i'm sure the same thing in terms of signing up users it's kind of like you might get one person who signs up and then they, after a couple of months they're liking the experience they're like and they tell their family and then now their family is in and then that's that's where the user growth comes, right? Yeah, it is. It, that is a big part of it. Um, you know, we've got I think seven thousand affiliates now um, that send people to Swan. But you should all listen to. You should go to SwanBitcoin.com/slash/Lavera. <laughs> that's the best one of the set of the seven thousand um, to sign up. But yeah, I mean that's that's really good. And then you know we're starting to spread into these uh, high net worth networks of folks. You know, like YPO chapters and CEO councils, and you know a bunch of employees of some fortune 100 company all kind of telling each other and it kind of happens that way as well. And international has been just absolutely massive as well. Um, a huge boost since we opened up outside the U S just for wire transfers. So we're not doing the auto DCA. We are going to actually let people DCA after sending a wire transfer, but that's probably again, more of a, a solid bear market strategy or, you know, something that you might just do if, if you really feel like doing that. Um, I'm, I don't love that product personally, but a lot of people have asked for it. So we're going to just offer it and sort of let people fund however they want and use use the uh, product however they want. The auto stacking that way. Yeah. So as an example, they might do, you know, wire in a large sum and then say, I wanted to, I wanted to buy, you know, a little bit every day as opposed to lump sum all at the start. Exactly. So with Swan, what's the what's the story looking like with users and uh, the you know the amount of stacking going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's been pretty exciting. I think we went public with a number for the first time, maybe five weeks ago or something like that, which is that we grew from obviously like zero to a billion dollars in our first year. So that was pretty cool. That's a billion dollar run rate sales. Um, so that's pretty exciting, and I think it's. Um, it's good to show that a Bitcoin only company can grow and grow fast and build a good brand. And, you know, I think uh, the growth has continued uh, at a very rapid pace since then. Um, you know, so a little startup that just got going and is already over 10% of Cash App's Bitcoin sales is pretty cool. Yeah, that's really impressive given the relative size of the organizations we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take 10% of their market cap. That'd be nice. But I think we're a long way off from that. <laughs> <laughs> they do a few other things besides sell Bitcoin, it turns out. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a pretty awesome company. I've got a lot of friends over there. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because online, some of our haters, or if you will, the anti it's, there are some people who are experts in hating Bitcoin, right? And so they like to 
say, oh, see, Bitcoin is only for the rich tech bros or it's only for, you know, these kind of people in their mom's basement and things like that. And I think part of the story is actually showing why Bitcoin is for everyone, isn't it? <sighs> I'm glad you said that specific phrase. Um, yeah, we're, we're actually in the middle of a, a big effort to record hundreds and hundreds of people on camera uh, under the aegis of Bitcoin is for everyone. So this is celebrities and athletes and grandmas and your cousin and Daniel Prince's daughter and you know, every, every podcaster and pleb and swan and whatever, like everybody's just kind of recording these videos. Um, and yeah, we'll be distributing those and getting lots of other companies involved in that over time and just kind of putting a human face on Bitcoin and showing, you know, who's actually involved in this, you know, people from Jamaica and people from South Africa and people from Gambia and people from all over the place talking about Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's going to be really powerful and, uh, you know, we're putting some, putting some real love into the production and the editing and, and going to kind of distribute it as widely as possible and, uh, give a little bit of a counterpoint to some of those narratives out there about what the Bitcoin monoculture supposedly is because it ain't a monoculture at all. Yeah, and I mean, even inside the Bitcoin world, there's all different kinds of, there's all different points of view. So it's interesting that people say that about the Bitcoin people when really, if they were to look inside more deeply, they'd see there's all these disagreements within the community about little things. Like, I think most people kind of broadly agree on the key ideas, uh, but there's kind yeah. of little disagreements here and there about it. So, well, there are going to be 8 billion of us we're going to disagree a lot, <laughs> exactly. you know? but, but, but we're roughly sort of moving in the same direction, which is what's important. Yeah. I wonder that. And yeah. And it, it kind of appeals to the, to a certain kind of person, right? In the earlier days or in, even today, yeah. it appeals to a certain kind of person who maybe is a little bit more curious and is perhaps a little bit more willing to question and go outside what, what, the normal TV is telling them to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you find out very quickly if, uh, if you thought that you might've been sort of a contrarian or didn't really care that much what people think about you and your views. Uh, and then you find yourself being a hardcore Bitcoiner, um, then you've probably confirmed <laughs> that you were correct about yourself, <laughs> you know? And then also like if other people use that as a, uh, as a slag on you over the course of your life or use that as, you know, something, you know, you weren't playing nice with the other kids or why can't you just like stay in the straight jacket in the corporate job and, you know, you got to put in four years, you can't job hop, like whatever it is you're finding out what the returns are to non-conformity if you're a Bitcoiner. Yeah. And so there are things where we as Bitcoiners support them a lot more, like we're overrepresented. So another example would be remote work, right? A lot of Bitcoiners are into remote work and a lot of Bitcoin companies have remote work because it's mm -hmm. it's just seen. And this is, you know, even before all the, co all the you know, hysteria 19, lockdown, whatever, like we were just more about that. Um, and so I think that's interesting as well. Um, I know, I know there's a site, bitcoinerjobs.co so let's chat a little bit about that what is it and uh you know why should people uh go work in a bitcoin job yeah absolutely so on your remote work point we just want to work with bitcoiners and people that love bitcoin and only hold bitcoin like that's a prereq you can't 
be into anything else. I mean, really don't even let people like appreciate much. About <laughs> Sell your chairs too. It's just, <laughs> you sell your chairs. Yeah, you can, no chairs, no chairs at Swan. At least we don't supply chairs for you. Like every everything is chest up. If you have a chair there, we don't want to see it. Thanks, Pierre. Thanks for that one. But no, I mean, I, I think it's only natural. It was never a question for us. We never tried to have an office because the best Bitcoiner for each role was whoever that was, wherever it is. And things run very efficiently now with Slack and Zoom. And it's all you really need. Little Telegram and Twitter for external, Slack and Zoom for internal and a tiny bit of email and you're good to go. Um, so it's just never been a question. I don't know. We've got like 35 people probably now on our Monday morning meetings. It's all pretty flat. Uh, we don't have second line management yet. So there are people that manage people that work for me, but like, like it's still super organic and sort of self-organizing, which is really cool. And the, what lets you do that is because we're all kind of, you know, it's like, it's like everybody being in skull and bones. Like we're all Bitcoiners. There's a, there's a shared understanding and there's honor and there's integrity. And then you're trying to, you're on this mission to drive adoption. And that means helping people through their customer service issues or helping them with their onboarding or helping them think about their purchase plans or, you know, how to, how to get their bank to release the fiat from the dirty fiat system and send it <laughs> to buy some beautiful orange coin. Like, you know, we're all kind of on the same exact mission all the time. And it just, it requires very little hierarchy and very little management at any level because everybody knows exactly what the right thing to do is all the time. We always just say internally and externally, like we're always trying to do the best thing for Bitcoin and for Bitcoiners and, you know, only raise a hand if it's unclear what that is. It's very rare that it's unclear what the best thing is to do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and I think it's good that um, because, you know, in years gone by, when you were trying to teach people how to get in, you'd often have to send them to some exchange where there'd be all these different coins and it's just like it's so confusing to people and especially for when someone is new then they they would come to you with all these questions of like oh stefan i saw you know this altcoin i you know i i know you've been telling me about bitcoin since 2013 but i actually went and bought you know xrp or some some stupid like that and I, I would just get so annoyed and now that there are actually bitcoin only companies i can tell them to go to mm -hmm. i just it's it saves it actually saves me a lot of time because i don't actually have to spend all this time like because they're less likely to go and get told by some crypto influencer that they need to do their own research and read the white paper and it's all just laughing right so mm -hmm. I, i'm very grateful that that exists now um and yeah yeah and i, I gotta get a sh you know big shout out to the ones that were in market before us in particular you know uh, the bull Bitcoin guys with bull Bitcoin up in Canada and then uh, Alex and Amber in Australia, you know, I think they kind of paved the way and showed that there was appetite for that model and that you could be Bitcoin only. And, uh, you know, obviously that I think, coin floor. you know, somebody like Obi over in the UK with CoinFloor that used to sell other coins was kind of shown that you could be successful doing Bitcoin only and decided to go that route. And obviously he's been years now doing a great job with Bitcoin only and Swan is proving the same thing, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then as Bitcoiners, it is a common thing where people get so engaged into the Bitcoin ecosphere that they're, okay, so they're listening to podcasts, they are reading articles, they're reading books. And it's only natural for many of pe many people to want to work in the Bitcoin sphere. But then yeah. the trade-off, the dilemma for many of them is that they feel like, well, they might be earning a lot more in their fiat job, but they might be a lot more passionate about working in a Bitcoin job. How do you think about that? And when someone asks you that question, how do you help them? There. Yeah, that is that is the dilemma typically, um, you know, and that there's just not that many Bitcoin jobs. But I think that will change dramatically 
Because like I said, I think we're going to a world where you're going to move very quickly beyond just mining and exchanges being profitable as industries around Bitcoin. And I think this it's it's obviously not really this cycle because there aren't a lot of companies that are making tons of money Bitcoin only outside of those two industries yet. But I do think this next bull run, whatever it is, 2024, let's say, or something like that, I think you're going to start to see the rise of companies that uh, start to make a lot of money around payments, around, you know, culturally related things like, you know, Bitcoin as a cultural movement is going to be 10 to 100 times bigger than, let's say, like CrossFit slash Paleo slash Quantified Self slash Carnivore, which kind of came up in 2008, 2009. And, you know, millions of people have made careers and millions of dollars out of that movement. And I think Bitcoin is way, way bigger than that, right? Like Bitcoin should be like paleo, CrossFit, plus surfing, plus kiteboarding, plus skateboarding, plus, you know, 80s culture, <laughs> whatever it is, all wrapped into this one giant thing. So I'm really bullish on all kinds of Bitcoin related products and services. And, you know, being the Bitcoiners choice in almost any field, right? Kind of the way that like Vandrew, Jeff Andrew is kind of set up as being like the guy that helps you sort out your, your ownership structures related to Bitcoin and how good that's been for him. Or, you know, maybe like, uh, like a Lynn Alden being like the macro research person that really gets Bitcoin and weaves it into these other narratives. I think there's, you know, the the Bitcoin personal trainer is going to crush it in every city because a Bitcoiner wants to talk about Bitcoin and, you know, all the time and is going to prefer that personal trainer. So I think that's already kind of starting to happen organically. And, you know, you mentioned Bitcoinerjobs.co, which is, you know, sort of just a little side project that I started and then uh, recruited a guy named Nathan, um, who's been on some of the podcasts, who's built it out. And, um, you know, that right now is just matching Bitcoiners that want to work in Bitcoin companies and there've been dozens of matches and there's, you know, many hundreds of jobs posted there. And, um, you know, so it's really exciting. We use it. Tons of companies use it. I, hilariously, like I started the thing and I looked at like who had the most jobs posted and it was like two of the top three were River and Strike, which are probably like the two companies that overlap with what we do in the US the most. And I was like, hey, whatever, community resource is what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, yeah, it's been great to see that take, take off. And I, I think it's important, you know, when, when there's a real vision, it's important to have, you know, when there's like an RV crypto, it's important to have a swan signal. When there's a crypto jobs, it's important to have a Bitcoiner jobs. When Andreessen raises $1.8 billion for shit coins, you know, it's important to have a Bitcoinerventures.com. So you always have to kind of like get rid of the crap and, you know, there'll be something that's worth doing that I think in the long run will actually be a lot bigger than the crypto stuff is now. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, as you were saying, it's just like setting up a Bitcoin only business. It's, it's the same. It's just setting up the Bitcoin only equivalent of some of these other things. And so, yeah, I think uh, the Bitcoin jobs thing is is interesting. I get it quite often as well, right? I get a lot of DMs. I try to give people a bit of a tip on that, but I guess here's my thoughts on it. I think for most people, you'll be earning more money in your fiat job. If you're comfortable just doing your fiat job and you think you can save more and stack more sats this way and you're comfortable with that, then, you know, stick with it. But if you're, uh, you know, for people who are at that level where they're like, look, I'm really, it's really soul draining for me. I would be comfortable taking a pay cut to go work in a Bitcoin job. Then, okay, that's probably the point where you might think about doing that. 
that. Um, but of course, it doesn't work for everyone because, you know, right, as you said, this is not that many Bitcoin jobs. But, you know, there might be some jobs out there. Bitcoinerjobs.co has some. And sometimes for people in the space, you start doing something. Yeah, go on. Well, this 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 decision has been, this is the same decision that everyone always makes, whether they want to stay in corporate versus go work for a startup. It's not really any different. And, I, and again, I think over the next few years, you're going to start to see uh Bitcoin only startups perform, you know, more on par with what you would expect from like top Silicon Valley backed startups. Um, I think you're you're starting to see that, right? You're starting to see like larger rounds go down for the Lightning Labs and the Casas and the Rivers and the Strikes. We haven't announced anything, but you know, our valuation is is rather high at this point. And you know, I think um, I think that's good. I think that it will start to show people that they can come and start Bitcoin only companies, and you're gonna give top and mid level employees like fairly hefty equity packages and that's always been the thing like do you leave morgan stanley or google to go work for some silicon valley startup mostly for equity you know and take that bet and bet on yourself and bet on your choice of which team to join and your ability to help that team yeah succeed so i don't i don't think it's going to be it's just going to be normal at some point to make the same kind of decision to go get into bitcoin as it's always been to leave corporate and get into entrepreneurship back to the show in a moment my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card, is created by CoinKite.com, one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. It offers the ability to use it completely air-gapped, so you can use an SD card and ferry it back and forward from the Cold Card to your laptop with Spectre or Sparrow or Electrum. It's quite a versatile wallet as you can use this in a single signature setup on its own when you're first learning how to get your coins off the exchange, or you can use a cold card as part of a multi-signature setup and use it alongside other devices, even if you're using, say, Unchained's multi-signature setup. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount on your cold card. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. So if you have left your coins on the exchange or maybe you're just sitting on a single signature hardware wallet, well, have you thought about upgrading to multi-signature? With multi-signature, you can separate those keys and reduce single points of failure in your security setup. So Unchained offer vaults, they are two of three. And so they also offer a concierge service. So if you want somebody to ship you two hardware wallets, answer your questions and then deposit a thousand dollars of bitcoin in your vault well you can use this service and you can use the code lavera to get a discount there unchained also offer otc desk in various states in the u.s they offer loans and they've also got advanced business accounts so you can move your corporate treasury to bitcoin also so go to unchained.com to find out everything you need cyphersafe.io are creating metal seed backup products so when you create your bitcoin wallet say a hardware wallet and you've got those 12 or 24 words well you need to make sure that that is backed up in a way that's fireproof and rust proof and waterproof CypherSafe are coming out with the Cypher Grid, which is available for pre-order now. This is the best value in the industry. You get everything you need for $59. It has two stainless steel plates for all 24 words. It has privacy by default. The plates are facing each other. You, it can be locked with a padlock. You get a tamper evidence seal, and you get the automatic center punch provided also. So I think this is a great deal for everyone looking to back up their coins. Go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Levera to pre-order your Cypher Grid. Back to the show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And ultimately, it's all about trying to help turn Bitcoin into money, right? Because money is the largest market. Yeah. 
And so if you can assist in some small marginal way, you can sort of help push the ball a little bit further along with everybody else in here trying to do the same thing. Then I guess, yeah, it's that same, it's that same bet that people take. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting point you made, you raised around uh, valuations and doing rounds. Let's uh, get an update from you on Bitcoin Adventures. What's uh, the latest there that we, we've got to share? Yeah, so we were... Uh, so. I- Anybody who's been following, so it's an Angelus syndicate. Um, the four partners are Stefan, your your host here, myself, Louis Liu from Mimesis Capital, and Jan Pritzker, the uh, author of Inventing Bitcoin, and, and my co-founder at Swan. And uh, yeah, we just try to find um, good Bitcoin-only startups that uh, you know want to benefit from having a lot of people sort of in the ecosystem. Um, so it's usually going to tend to be a little bit more consumer facing where kind of the, the founders and the, and the company or the product are pretty well known and, and pretty popular. That's a lot easier to get a syndicate to, to put money into than maybe like some B2B software type startup. Um, so yeah, we did our first deal last year about this time. It was in Q2, it was uh, Unchained Capital last year. Uh, a few months ago, we completed our second deal, which was uh, Bit Refill. It's awesome. So Bitcoin Adventures is on those two cap tables. And then uh, the third one is going down right now. Can't say who it is because your entire audience may not be accredited in the US. But uh, if you go to BitcoinAdventures.com, there's a link right there to the Angelus Syndicate, or you can just go to angel.co and search for Bitcoin Adventures. And uh, and then you can uh, apply and get certified by AngelList and, and contribute to that. Check sizes anywhere from like a thousand bucks to fifty thousand dollars. Our typical check size into a, a startup is two hundred two hundred fifty k. So that's what we're doing into this current deal. Um, and basically, the uh, the setup is the four partners take no fees, no carry, and all four as all four of us have to agree to invest in the exact same syndicate on the exact same terms. So, you know, we've got skin in the game and, you know, we're we're trying to select companies that we want to be a part of and that we want to invest into and uh so yeah, it's exciting to have deal number 3 on the way and you know, we hope this eventually becomes such a big deal that it's very easy to turn it into a committed capital fund and, you know, someone that is uh, a little less busy than Stefan, Corey, and Jan uh might actually be an active manager of a fund in the future and maybe it goes that direction but we'll probably always keep the syndicate alive yeah and I, i'm i'm excited to be a part of it i think it's a good way to add to your investments in bitcoin if you want to contribute into certain businesses that you like you know so obviously unchained capital i'm a huge fan of them now of course they're a sponsor of my show as well but I, i'm a big fan of their business and the way they are and uh bit refill as well also helping people who really want to live on bitcoin and actually buy vouchers and be able to earn sats and then directly spend those sats and i think it's such a excellent business that it's really helping people achieve that so that for me is you know i'm very excited about that and of course uh, the current deal which i can't name but i think it's a great i think it's a really great company um so i'm excited to see where that goes yeah yeah so all right so there's a lot of other things going on in the space i guess narrative wise if you will right now some of this stuff isn't really how would i put it sometimes it's not necessarily a about the actual facts, right? It's like the energy debate. Sometimes it's not actually about how much electricity mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Bitcoin is using. It's actually just about certain power dynamics that are playing out in, in a way. Um, I want to get your take on, you know, all this Elon Musk stuff going on. And, you know, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think 
it's one of these things, you know, it's not unlike the, uh, I forget what the, I forget what the, uh, the psychologist that named this effect, but it's basically like, uh, when you read one story in the New York times about a field that you know really well, and you're like, Oh, uh, gentlemen, amnesia, something gentlemen, amnesia, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, you know what I'm getting at. And basically it's like when it's in your own field, you're like, Oh, well that's bullshit. And then you read the next story and you don't know much about that. And you assume that all the facts in, in the story are true and that it's good reporting. You know, it's kind of like that for me with Elon, you know, like I, I am aware and have been for many years that he has, you know, aggressive detractors of him personally. And, you know, the way he does business and the way that sort of Tesla makes money and SpaceX and this, that and the other things and, you know, and, you know, how he actually operated at PayPal and what happened at the end and all those kinds of things. And, you know, I was kind of just brushed it off because I wasn't really all that interested. I actually do. I, I actually have spent quite a bit of time in, you know, EVs and Tesla long ago, like pre Bitcoin. And uh, so I was kind of a fan. And I still think that Model Xs are dope. They're great cars. But <laughs> but watching him come and wade his toe into Bitcoin and just absolutely just poop on everything like a toddler and be wrong so often with such sort of apparently vehement certainty while being provably incorrect. Uh, you know, it just it made him look really, really bad because now I'm going back and I'm not the only one that's going back and checking in with friends that have been skeptics of all kinds of other things that he's done in the past that I've given him a pass on because I was broadly a fan of, you know, cool cars and going to space, you know? So yeah, I don't yeah. know. I think he, I don't, I think he thinks that he's going to be able to dig himself out of this at some point and we're never going to forget. I will never trust him, you know, because the border, the border for me of when I can trust somebody, it's totally fine to be wrong, but you have to know what you know and what you don't know. And you have to clearly mark it. You know, you have to clearly mark when you're off in territory where you're not certain and you may not have all the facts. And that's what's been just so dramatic about Elon in particular, because he's been stating things as fact without caveat that are false. So I can't trust him ever again, because I know he's that type of person. And that's hard. It sucks. You got to kill your heroes, I guess, when they act like that. Um, Taleb, who we should bring up, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I probably, I mean, I must be in the top 1% of Bitcoiners as far as you know, Taleb expertise and reading all the books 9 million times or whatever. But, um, and it's hard, man, because yeah, obviously I'm a big fan of the books and I thought, you know, Swan was derived from Black Swan because I think Bitcoin is the, the biggest Black Swan in history. And um, yeah, this, this latest turn for him has been a dramatic amount of showing one's behind to the world as uninformed, as egotistical, and and just straight up wrong. So you know, it's uh, yeah, it, it hurts. We actually uh, from the Swan handle today was the day that we uh, unfollowed Nassim from the Swan handle. We always only follow twenty one people from the Swan handle, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so the changing relationship. Yeah, hey? yeah. We're following twenty now, and uh, and we'll see. We got to follow somebody else next week. Yeah, yeah. I, I look, it's this space is very challenging for newcomers who have an ego and I think sometimes when people don't kind of set that aside and look in the case of Nassim I think yeah. I mean I'm still a fan of you know his books like I, I loved Fooled by Randomness I really enjoyed reading that book Um, that's probably my favorite of his books but I think he it seems to me like he let his personal antagonism and you know his, that deterioration in the in the relationship with Safedine kind of color the way he saw Bitcoin and now this recent thing is he's going on some BSV conversation conference with like Craig Wright and some of these other BSV people. Yeah. Yeah. He, he accepted the, uh, the coin geeks speaking fee or whatever they pay people. 
I don't know how they get people to go to that thing, but uh, yeah, very disappointing. But uh, yeah, and he he fell for the stupid trope of like, well, it says cash, and cash means paper cash, right? And it's like, no, bro, that's that's like fiat medium exchange. That's not yeah, exactly. what he's talking about. We're talking about a bearer asset. That's what cash is. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, so yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, but and and like for people who come into the space, I think it just it really requires a certain level of humility, right? You just have to. Yeah you know, kind of shut up and do the reading and shut up and do the listening to the podcast or watching the YouTubes or ask questions, but in a way where you're sort of, you're not coming out with such a forceful confidence about I'm right and this is the only way it could be because many people in Bitcoin have come before and have asked those same questions and answered mm-hmm. those same questions. And I think it was really disappointing with Elon as well, right? Because yeah. he, he comes in, thinks he's, um, I mean, sure, he's a smart guy probably, right? Like he's, he's a highly intelligent guy, but I think he came in not having done the research and just just thought just like an engineer oh i'll just change this dial just raise the block size 10x and just totally ignore the year the multi-year debate and infighting and basically civil war that people had that we had in bitcoin because he you know naively thought oh just 10x the block size and therefore we'll get more transactions and there's no trade-off for that mm-hmm. why, why i don't know why you idiot bitcoin people didn't just do that right uh, the reality is he just didn't understand the history no he doesn't get it at all and you know it's, it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out because i do see you know it's only been a few days now since dalio ray dalio started to really say things that feel kind of more in line with an understanding of bitcoin and appreciation for it and you know he he said dumb things many times about bitcoin but somehow it was so clear that it wasn't actually really emotional he was really just parroting things that his social circle or his lieutenants had said to him and like you know talking about underlying technology and maybe there's something to you know blockchain all the things and the government can ban bitcoin anytime they want to and all these kinds of things but like they were kind of just re- repeated talking points you never saw an indication that he'd actually like tried to understand it and come out one way or another. And I kind of give old dudes a pass when it comes to that. And then you, you're kind of seeing, I mean, I'm kind of have to be a little bit of a fan here and give him a pass because he is kind of living by the principles that he purported to have, right? Which is, you know, he's not going to have an ego about it. He's going to be able to change his mind when he, once he actually understands what's going on. You know, you're kind of seeing it happen. I don't know if some of these people will get around to it. You know, it's a, it's a race against time for Charlie Munger <laughs> if he's going to be around long enough to do his own research and understand the truth. Um, you know, Nassim does a lot of deadlifts, but he eats a lot of pasta. And, you know, he may not ever actually appreciate Bitcoin in this lifetime. It's very possible he never will. Um, I hope he does, though. That's hard for people, hey? And yeah. And you know, one other factor that is worth bringing up is it's hard to learn in public, especially when you're already famous. You've already got a following. Maybe it's difficult for you to then turn around and say, oh, wait a minute, maybe I was wrong about this thing. And it's hard. Like, of course, we can talk about it. But I think it's such a horrible character flaw that's massively ego driven to feel like you have to pontificate about something that you don't actually understand yet. Yeah. You know, and you're seeing it with Mark Cuban, you're seeing it with Taleb, you're seeing it with Elon, you see it with Munger, like you're seeing it with a lot of people that feel like they have to give an opinion on something that they don't understand. And so then we get to how we kind of open this section, which is like, it's really difficult for me to have respect for somebody that doesn't know where the line is between the things that they actually know and have a firm grasp on and what they're just opining on without actually understanding it. And and I just can only imagine now 
like when you see this happening with something that you care about as deeply as Bitcoin and that you study as much as you know we have and you way more than me and you see people just like talking out of their ass about this subject that we care about I now just think of like all of my friends that have had subjects that they know deeply and you know all of the people they've had to put up with pontificating about theirs it makes me much more careful about you know opining and, and stepping over the line in other subjects that's for sure yeah, yeah. And so uh, the other, I guess, really disappointing is the Elon case, right? Because 1.5. his company had gone and bought, was I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe 1.5, yeah, $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and seemingly was unaware, I mean, was seemingly unaware that Bitcoin's mining hash rate protects the overall network and it doesn't just naively scale by the transactions, right? And so to, mm-hmm. to then hold Bitcoin on the Tesla balance sheet, but then say, oh, see, as Tesla, we're not going to take it as payment anymore. It's like, do you understand that that hash rate, it's it's one and the same thing. It's securing the overall network, right? And I don't understand how he could have, like, how did he, how did he get there, right? I don't know. I mean, the... Uh... The timing of the the news about their new sort of plan for uh, renewable energy credits that came out like a day or two after that, and the fact that he screenshotted a Tesla press release and didn't sort of tweet it out in his own language about shutting down the, you know, I don't know. I just think he's gotten a lot of pressure from a lot of people, you know, and Tesla is supposed to be this green energy company and it's very dependent upon, you know, subsidies, basically. And so they're just kind of like playing this have it both ways thing right now. Yeah, that may be it, I think. And it's a real shame because it just, you know, people were pointing out even Elon from one or two months ago had just responded to like Jack Dorsey saying, yeah, it actually does incentivize renewable energy for people who care about that, right? And it's... yeah. It just seems like a massive hypocrisy, but you know, what can you say, right? We're in this little world and we can't access all the normal people out there who hear what he says. Yeah. So we're kind of stuck. And also he has, and he has a board, right? He does, he's not master of his domain. Yeah. You know, so he gets a lot of pressure and he has stakeholders and he can say he doesn't care about money as often as he wants to. But a lot of the people around him that can outvote him and influence him and make things in other areas that he's passionate about, like really difficult for him. They can influence what Tesla does, what SpaceX does, what any of these companies do. It's a lot of stakeholders with a lot of money and a lot of power. Um, And I don't think that he holds over 50 percent of the power. However, you might quantify that in any of his ventures except maybe the boring company, yeah. right? Like if other people want to gang up, they'll they'll have a quorum and they'll be able to make him do something different with SpaceX and with Tesla. Yeah, so he has to play the political game a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And then the, the whole mining council aspect of it as well. I'm wondering what you think on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously caveat that I'm on the advisory board of Riot Blockchain, which is a big North American Bitcoin mining company on, on the NASDAQ. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. Like if the game theory in Bitcoin is broken and we don't think it is, then, you know, mining cartels are a problem, but it, it we don't think that that's the case. We, we don't, we've seen this happen before and, you know, it just seems like more FUD. And, you know, I think the, uh, you know, like Riot already publishes their energy mix in all of their public company reporting. So, you know, signing up to a council that's supposed to be transparent about their energy mix was an easy yes. There's not some sort of like cabal of miners coalescing around this, you know, as Sailor said, he just, you know, grabbed the people that he could, threw them on a Zoom or a conference call and invited Elon. And that's basically all it was so far. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that 
that it's really, really a good idea to always be skeptical of, you know, councils and cabals and sort of, you know, things happening behind closed doors anywhere around Bitcoin, you know, and seeing, you know, two of the four founding members of the cryptocurrency council or whatever being like Fred and Brian, you know, freaks me out, obviously. But, you know, there can be lots of different lobbyist organizations and lots of different councils, and there's not going to be any one organization that ever speaks for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. You know, it's a, it's a free and open marketplace and we can all volunteer our time and our resources at any moment. And, you know, I think the other thing that people might be discounting, and this is basically just, you know, as soon as Bitcoin got into the five digits, there's so many Bitcoiners with so much financial resource at this point that if there's ever actually like a real threat to the network of some kind, I just think you're going to see, you know, if you thought that UASF and some of the PR efforts, you know, were somewhat organized in 2016-17, like I just think the way this community would uh, would would spend time and value to protect Bitcoin against a threat would be orders of magnitude larger than anything we've ever seen before. And it would have, you know, lobbyists and lawyers and all kinds of social media, this, that, and the other. And it would be all decentralized because there is no freaking CEO and, you know, there's no consensus in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, so it wouldn't be controlled, but I think a lot of people would be chipping in and making things happen. I mean, look at what, you know, Chris Calicott and the, and the TVP guys, uh, Bitcoin, I'm sorry, the Bitcoin Venture Fund, BVP. Yeah. Or BVF, sorry. In, uh, in Texas, you know, they and their friends kind of got a Bitcoin bill. I don't know really what's in it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they got something that I've been told is fairly favorable passed in Texas. And, you know, I think that's very sort of repeatable and they can do that over and over again if needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to summarize then, it's kind of like the America, the North American, I guess, mining pool sort of came together for this council thing. And the, I guess the reality of it, though, is that, that that their combined hash rate is probably something around 10% of the network. So even then, it's not really like the whole network is going this way. Uh, and so I guess, yeah, there's not. Not much chance of any of the other companies at that table cooperating on anything that Marathon wants to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Like no, no one that's really like into Bitcoin is about to follow that path of trying to mine clean blocks and join Mr. Wonderful or Mr. Blunderful, as I like to call him. You know, let's not <laughs> like let's not one. let's not mine any blood coins. You know, like these guys are just talking out of their ass, trying to like gather attention for themselves and you know try to you know if you if you introduce inefficiency into a market, uh, you create create a spread and you can take the spread. And that's what they do. They try to introduce inefficiency into a market because then there are two different prices for the same good and they can take the spread, even if they only take part of it. So if you create a market by saying like, hey, blood coins are bad, my non-blood coins are good, pay 1% more, then Mr. Blunderful can take half of a point, right? You know, and Mara can do the same thing. They can say like, oh, we're mining clean blocks. Then we OFAC scanned them. and They didn't get coin joined in the last six hops or whatever it is, pay a little bit more, but they'll have a mine pool that, you know, they're taking one or 2% off the top or whatever the economics are because some other people want to, it's like co-op advertising, you know, it's like all the McDonald's franchisees, you know, sort of putting it into the pot so that McDonald's runs the national campaigns. That's what holding up a flag and saying like, Hey, you can say that you're good and you're, you're in Bitcoin, but you're one of the good ones. Like that's, they're creating that opportunity for the weak-minded people to go and, you know, decide that they want to get on board for that PR move and they're just grifters. Yeah. 
And it's like trying to, yeah. It's just like Lasky creating the DFS, right? It's the exact same thing. It's just grift. Yeah. And it's like trying to differentiate, right? They're trying to be in Bitcoin, but then differentiate in a way that the protocol really doesn't recognize that way. And they're just trying to externally impose their view to try to get everyone else to come along with their narrative. But we don't actually have to go with their narrative. We'll just say like, no, actually, you're just factually wrong. There is no blood coins. And even this whole notion of virgin coins straight from the mining, that those are untainted and whatever, the reality is minor fees are also included as well into those blocks. And so they also, quote unquote, taint the block. And over time, right, if we're all right about this thing and Bitcoin is going crazy way higher, Absolutely. it is naturally going to shift over to being more about fees than about subsidies. So so it, it just is a completely flawed narrative. And I think it's the smart people understand that this is not a thing. Uh, but I wonder, you know, will the masses go along with them? Or does it matter that we uh, go out there and debunk these things? Or do you think it doesn't really matter in the end? I don't think it really matters in the end. And you know, a good movement actually wants a diversity of voices and you don't actually want to shut them down. And I'm kind of like, because I've been in the space a little bit longer and then running a company that's growing a little bit, like it's totally fine to have some diverging opinions about small aspects of what's going on. And like, it's totally fine to use well, well, Sailor is essentially now like a cat's paw that's going and dealing with that shit. And he can use and spend some of his credibility that he's gained with the Bitcoin community by instead of, you know, what I think, you know, the, the morally upstanding thing to do would be not give an inch because they might take a mile. And it would be say like, it would, it would say like, no, we're not doing anything except for the moral case for fossil fuels talking. Right. And that's what we're going to say. And we're not going to, and it's, you know, Bitcoin mining is more important than Christmas trees and Xbox and aircraft carriers and anything else. There's nothing more important. And we'll keep on making that point for the people that want to go down the rabbit hole. But the mainstream press is only going to cover something that directly counters and addresses the point that's being made. They're not going to bring to the masses the hour long debate from first principles that explains why the point was stupid in the first place. And I think Saylor understands that. And he's decided that he's willing to spend some of his credibility with the Hornets by, you know, engaging in what is essentially like a disingenuous debate sparked by people in the wrong. And he's just going to kind of throw him a bone and kind of deflate that. That's what I think is going on. I don't, I don't think he's stupid. I, don't think he, I think he actually understands exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think he understands. But yeah, you never know. But uh, yeah, it seems to me like, you know, he, it, that's, you know, he's trying to, yeah. maybe he's also another way to think of it is he's trying to give Elon a, a quote unquote bridge to come back in a to kind of yeah. walk back your past mistake and just understand actually a lot of the energy usage in yeah. you know Bitcoin is renewable anyway and actually arguably is more renewable than many other industries that already exist today and people are clearly comfortable with those other industries existing. Yeah. I mean we have to we have to get really comfortable with with politics and talking points and you know the kind of debate skills, right? Like I don't I don't think it's an accident that like Brady and Pierre and Bitstein are all like champion debate you know, like they're used to this. They've been doing it since they were kids. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more people with PR skills, political skills. I mean, think of what Sailor had to go through with his company. Imagine the meetings he had with crisis PR as they went through like SEC lawsuits and shareholder lawsuits and the stock price plummeting 99.8% and sticking it out and coming all the way back. You know, like he's been through this before. This is not a PR crisis within an order of magnitude of things that he dealt with. 20 years 
years ago. Yeah. Like he's fine. He'll deal with this and he'll keep his eyes on the prize. And I think the prize is Bitcoinization. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I guess we're kind of wrapping it up then. Uh, Do you have any tips for listeners out there as they, uh, you know, try to build or grow this movement out there? Yeah. I mean, I I always like to just shill uh, Jan's book because I just think it's such a great starting point. So Jan Pritzker. And you can get it for free, right? Swanbitcoin.com slash free book. Slash free book. Yep, exactly. So inventing Bitcoin. I I really just try to get people to spend that two hours and kind of start there and and then listen to episode 71 of uh, Stefan Levera's show, which is is the monologue show where he breaks down Austrian economics in relation to Bitcoin. But I I think it's a really powerful one and I still recommend it all the time. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we uh, we should have our we got our YouTube channel taken down with no explanation from YouTube this morning. Um, so oh, getting what? the platform again. Oh man, uh, that sucks. Yeah, but we'll we'll spin up a new one here in the next few days. <laughs> but uh, keeps happening, and we don't obviously do anything at all wrong with regards to that. But every once in a while, I don't know if it's yeah, of course not. You know, altcoiners yeah. complaining or some anti-Bitcoin somebody says something. But yeah, we got taken down ostensibly for promoting uh, illegal services. I think it maybe it's one of those false reporting things or I don't know, yeah. some automated machine went wrong and stuff. So I don't know. I, I guess at the end of the day, it just... <laughs> You'd think they'd check with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And ask a question, you know, <laughs> after you've had like a few million views or whatever we have, you'd think they'd want to check with you, but uh, they don't. Yeah, that's a shame. But uh, yeah, you know, I guess um, put yeah, get get the material out there and um, yeah. get people learning about this thing because, as you said, the more you know, the more you you know you get into this. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that's right. And you you can engage with me and our entire team um, in real time. You know, basically around the clock at uh, t.me/swansignal. So that's the Telegram group for for Swan, and you know that's where you can discuss our shows and talk to our team. And it's just a really good place to hang out. You know, we also uh, the guy who started Cafe Bitcoin on clubhouse which is now on android so no more complaining that there's no android but yeah it's a good place to hang out talk some bitcoin learn some a lot more really interesting scheduled rooms there now i think we have 10 different languages that have a have a weekly room just talking about bitcoin answering questions and kind of debating the issues of the day so it's a really good place to find us yeah otherwise i think you you're probably still running the reader ad about uh swan private client services but i'll I'll show it briefly and just say uh you know that's it's going really well i think the uh, I think we've surveyed our our customers yet from this first cohort, but I would guess that the, it's definitely a five star product. Being able to have somebody experienced really talking to you about Bitcoin. So you know, if you're looking to move your family office into Bitcoin, or you know, your company or something like that, SwanBitcoin.com/private, and we just hired our second person for that unit, a guy named Terrence Yang, who's pretty well known in the space. Uh, Yang Ventures on Twitter, and one of my favorite Bitcoiners to listen to on Clubhouse. So he's joined Stephen Lubka as the as the two guys kind of running things for Swan Private. So bullish on that. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Stefan. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. And for those of you attending Bitcoin 2021, I hope you guys enjoy the conference. I'm a bit disappointed and uh, unhappy that I can't make it myself. I've obviously been trying to get out, but unfortunately, this is Prison Island, Australia, and uh, I'll have to see about when I can get out of here. But hopefully I can get out someday sooner or later and start attending some of the different Bitcoin conferences or at least maybe next year. We'll see how things go. So you can find me at stefanlevera.com. Thanks and I will see you in the Citadels. (laughs) 